What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Welcome to the Stranger Things Season 4 Volume 1 Recap Special. Stranger Things was, say, Star Wars A New Hope. Volume 1 of Season 4 is definitely The Empire Strikes Back. This series has shifted into an even darker, ominous, and more horror-based tone. There have been some revelations that transform the legacy of the entire series. With this uh, Volume 1 recap, we're going to look at everything that went down through the first seven episodes a full plot summary. We're going to look at the various themes that were explored through these seven episodes, the connections with movies, specifically one big horror one. We're going to look at um, the importance of the music used in this season. We're going to look at a bunch of 1980s references and Easter eggs and stuff you may have missed, and then wrap it all up. Before we start, this is your last call for spoiler warnings for season four. Okay, so this season takes place on the East and West Coast and in the former Soviet Union. The Hawkins crew has been split throughout the world now. Eleven, Joyce, Jonathan, and Will are in California, and things haven't been great for Eleven. She's lost her powers, and high school really sucks. A new entity has been killing teenagers around Hawkins. We learn this to be Vecna, a skeletoid demon from the Dungeons & Dragons world. What has brought him out, and does he control the entire Upside Down as we know it? Speaking of Dungeons & Dragons, we meet the Hellfire Game Club and their metalhead leader, Eddie. Meanwhile, Hopper is still stuck in the Russian prison, and Joyce, who believes Hopper is dead, gets a message that he's alive. This will take her and Murray on a crazy voyage through Russia and all the way to Hopper's cell. In Russia, the Soviets have been training the Demogorgon to fight as a weapon. Speaking of weapons, we get flashbacks to Eleven's earlier days at the lab. We see the other numbers in the training they have gone through. Eleven, Sam, and Brennan take Eleven to go back into her subconscious to see if she can not only regain her powers, but make them come back stronger than ever. The fate of the world is going to depend on this. We also learn of Victor Creel. It turns out that in the 1950s, he was the first person to be attacked by Vecna. His entire family perished, but he survived. In the modern day, he is in a mental hospital and missing his eyes. What allowed him to survive? Almost like he's Harry Potter. The town believes Eddie killed the teens, and the Hellfire Club is seen as nothing but a satanic cult spurred on by the evil Dungeons & Dragons board game. Vecna's victims have been possessed by him, but why does he choose them? Apparently, he goes after victims have, that have deep-rooted trauma. One of these potential victims is Max. She has not yet come to terms with Billy's death at the end of Season 3. 
The kids are able to thwart Vecna's attack by playing Max's favorite song. The part of the brain that embraces music can block the trauma and prevent Vecna from attacking. In California, the FBI is after Jonathan, Mike, and Will, and they get a lead on how to find Eleven. This involves them finding Susie, Dustin's girlfriend, and dialing into a primitive form of the internet. In Hawkins, the other crew has found one of the gates to the Upside Down and are pulled in. They learn Vecna kills to open multiple gates. Hopper is able to fend off the Demogorgon and is reunited with Joyce and Murray. The other kids make it from the Upside Down back to the real world, except for Nancy. She still has trauma over the death of Barr back in Season 1. And while in the Upside Down, she learns Vecna is Victor Creel's son, Henry. He killed his family except for his father, who, like Max, was also saved by some music. Creel's son was then placed in Brenner's care, where he became number one, the character we've been wondering about since Series 1. We have Eleven, who was number one. Then it looks like he was replicated into the other numbers, including Eleven herself. Victor Creel's son, or number one, was the orderly in the hospital who was helping Eleven escape, but this was more for his own interests and gaining her trust so he could escape. The attack on the lab kids that Eleven believed she had caused was actually by number one. It was because she refused to join forces with him and he knew how powerful she was. The two then face off in a very Luke Vader way and Eleven destroys him, opening up a gate to the upside down in the process. It is this act that causes him to change in the upside down into Vecna. So let's look at how the plot and the various themes of Stranger Things Season 4 all tie together. There are several overreaching themes that cover most of this season. I think the biggest one is the issue of facing our fears, and this can be the primary emphasis of the entire series, and the Upside Down may represent our worst fears that have to be confronted. In Season 4, Eleven and Max specifically have to face theirs. The trauma inside them, Eleven thinking she murdered all those kids and Max dealing with Billy's death, will only continue to eat at them unless they deal with it. When we hold on to this past trauma and pain, it's like carrying around a lump of hot coal. It's just going to burn you. Eventually, you just have to put it down to let go of the past. We'll cover more about this with Max in the music section of this episode. There are also themes of self-identity and wondering what your role in the world is. Both Steve and Hopper struggle through this. Hopper wonders what value he brings to the world and if there's any difference between whether he's here or not. Steve has gone from king of high school to nothing more than a babysitter. He's on his own journey of self-discovery and unearthing his true self. Does Vecna then represent the anxiety that attacks us and prevents us from moving on like it does with these characters? Vecna is there literally staring us in the face, and Victor Creel represents how people would rather cut out their eyes and pretend it doesn't exist than to face it head on. If we don't see it, it just can't exist. Eleven also struggles with this. Is she the monster or the superhero? She has been in constant conflict with herself throughout this season. So, are we defined by our past? Is the past preventing us from moving on? Does it do nothing more than weigh us down? The episode The Dive deals with all of this really well. The characters not only dive into an actual physical lake, but have to take the deep dive to uncover their true feelings and issues. 
Just like diving into a scary lake in pitch dark, diving into our subconscious can be just as scary. But also like the characters, we just have to take that plunge. This is where Steve seems to rediscover his true self, and he's emerging as the leader again and not just Dustin's babysitter. We don't know what's at the bottom of that lake, but it could be the answer we've been looking for. We just had to go in head first. There are also the very simple love triumphs over evil themes that, I mean, every form of movie and TV show explores at some point. Eleven, believing she is a monster, has discovered her true past. Her mother was actually there the whole time and did love her. When she accesses this loving memory, the sorry to get all back to the future here, the power of love is what enables her to defeat number one. Love has given her more power than all of his evil. In her locked away memories was the truth. She is a superhero and not a monster. She just had to go deep into her soul to discover this. Hopper also realizes what his value is. He does have a place in the world and it's also filled with love, even if it's just with Joyce. In Russia, he was not only in a physical prison, but a prison in his mind. When he conquered the Demogorgon, which can represent our fears, it allowed him to open himself up and accept that there is at least that one person out there that values and needs him. He escaped that feeling of being trapped in a certain way. So let's look at probably the most important movie connection with this season, and that is A Nightmare on Elm Street. And I've covered this episode over at Patreon, and that's part of the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast, where I review the good, the bad, and the ugly of 1980s movies. I'll talk more about that at the end if you're interested in supporting the show. But some have said that Stranger Things Season 4 seems like a sequel to A Nightmare on Elm Street. The series borrows from many classic 80s movies, especially in the horror genre. We have seen influence from classics such as The Thing, Halloween, Jaws, Friday the 13th, Fear Street, and Hellraiser, just to name a few. But A Nightmare on Elm Street seems to take center stage this season. First off, there's the obvious connection between Vecna and Freddy killing the teenagers. The difference is Freddy killed them in their dreams and Vecna kills them in real life, but in their subconscious. And then there's the inclusion of Freddy Krueger himself, Robert Englund. Englund plays the modern-day Victor Creel. A Nightmare on Elm Street is a horror classic, and the style and premise of it work well when adapted for the Stranger Things world. The scene where Eddie's uncle tells of Victor Creel's origin seems taken right from A Nightmare on Elm Street, where another Nancy asks her mom all about Freddy. Season 4 is a shift to more horror, and A Nightmare on Elm Street is a perfect source material to influence it. I also feel a bit of Pennywise from It this season in Vecna, and of course, Pinhead from Hellraiser. The bullying scene with Eleven clearly evokes images from the movie Carrie, and the scene where Nancy and Robin meet Victor has a definite Silence of the Lambs imagery to it. There are also many Lord of the Rings references, as the gang has to travel through the Upside Down just like it's Mordor. My favorite movie reference in this is War Games, which is also a massive influence on the Ready Player One book. The opening scene of Dustin and Susie changing his grade is a great homage to the 1983 classic. And then there's the phone number to the computer where we hear what sounds like an early dial-up internet. In that scene, Will even refers to War Games itself. Mike wonders if Nina is like Joshua, Joshua being the computer from War Games. 
Movie-wise, I also saw the connections to The Wizard of Oz with the flying hell bats or the demo bats, Friday the 13th, of course, The Evil Dead, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Star Wars, of course, that great line where Dustin says, never tell me the odds, just like Han Solo. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a side of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. But those are the important 1980s movies. Let's look at some of the 1980s music used during Stranger Things Season 4. And music plays a huge role in this season. The soundtrack of the show has moved away from the classic 1980s synth-based sound that was you know, more prominent in the earlier seasons. It's brought in more guitar and metal sounds. And there's also the use of a bunch of original songs. Here are some that I caught during the show's. Uh, there's Object of My Desire by Starpoint, Fever by The Cramps, Play With Me by Extreme, We Hear Detroit Rock City by Kiss, uh, You Spin Me Right Round by Dead or Alive, Rock Me Amadeus by Falco, Tarzan Boy by Baltimore, Psycho Killer, beautifully used in that scene uh, with Eleven, that's by Talking Heads, Legless by Hipbone Slim, Hard Feelings by Al Kirby, Past the Duchy, of course, by Musical Youth, a lot of drug use in this series. Uh, Cutthroat by Survive. There's also some great inclusion of operatic pieces such as Il Mio Ben Quandro Vera and the stunning The Window of Appearances from Act One of the Opera Akhenaten. This super intense piece was the perfect backdrop to the revelation of one and the emergence of Vecna. So this opera comes from the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and it features a character that is both a corpse and a ghostly figure, basically Vecna. It's also about a pharaoh that rises to power and brings together Upper and Lower Egypt. This could maybe represent Eleven. And lastly, it's about two lovers coming together, which would have to be Hopper and Joyce. Then there's the song that seems to define this entire season, Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush. Thanks to Stranger Things Season 4, this song has now risen to the top of the iTunes charts despite coming out in 1985. This is the song that saved Max's life, and it's about conquering the hill in front of you. Max has to deal with her trauma regarding Billy, and it obviously takes a gigantic effort. She's been pushing it away instead of conquering it, and that's not easy, kind of like running up a hill. It's in front of you, and eventually you have to climb it. But once you get to the top, the journey down the other side is much easier. The lyrics of the song also talk about, quote, And if I could only, I'd make a deal with God, and I'd get him to swap our places, unquote. Max still feels guilty about Billy, and is wondering maybe should it have been her that died? 
Max even runs through the upside down, similarly to how Kate Bush runs in the video for running up that hill. So this song is everywhere right now. So let's look at some of the 1980s references and Easter eggs so far that I've caught. I'm sure much more will be revealed, but as of right now, this is what I've seen. There's not a ton of 80s references in this season as there had been in the previous one. This is because I think the series has developed into its own entity and it's taken its place in the popular zeitgeist. In the first seasons, the show needed to be heavy on nostalgia as a way to hook in viewers, especially, you know, older ones. The past seasons have included more kid-friendly-ish themes and references from the 80s, you know, like E.T., Star Wars, The Goonies, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future. The horror elements were still there, but this season, the overt nostalgia takes more of a back seat. That's not to say there aren't any, though. Dungeons and Dragons, which to me is the driving influence of the entire series, is once again a big part of season four. This time, however, they've referenced how the rest of the world was perceiving the game in 1986. If you grew up in the 80s, you know it was an era where there was a massive fear of satanic cults. Eventually, Dungeons and Dragons got linked into all this. A simple board game was seen as being capable of possessing and filling kids with evil. A few articles which they use in uh, the second episode, specifically from Newsweek, seem to be responsible for this sort of fear, and it caught on like wildfire. News reports filled the airwaves, and with only three networks on, every parent across the country seemed to become aware of this and started to freak out over Dungeons & Dragons. My own mother wouldn't let me have anything to do with this game, and the cartoon series was completely off-limits. Was all of this backlash so the game could be used as a scapegoat so parents didn't have to take responsibility for their poor parenting? Should parents have been more proactive and involved in the lives of their kids? No, it's the game that was in the wrong. Here are a bunch of other 80s references and Easter eggs I caught. So we all saw the Magic 8 Ball. There was a Simon game. Uh, Max's Sweet Walkman. The Light Bright playing an instrumental part in the season. There's a reference of Ozzy Osbourne biting the head off a bat from 1982. We see movie posters for Jaws and The Endless Summer, references to Nintendo and Duck Hunt. I feel like the kids are the ducks being pecked off by Vecna here. I was wondering, Nancy uses the name Rose when they go and lie their way in to meet Victor Creel. Is this a tribute to Rose from the Golden Girls and the late great Betty White? Uh, We see the 1986 Masters. That was won by Jack Nicholas. References to Thundercats. There's a shot of Courtney Cox on TV in what I believe is an episode of Family Ties. I think this may be a deliberate inclusion because season four seems to have some homages also to the Scream movies in which Courtney Cox starred in. There's a Hulk Hogan card hanging in the taxi. The scene with Eddie and Chrissy had real Bender Claire from the Breakfast Club things going on there, I thought. We also see a poster for the Just Say No anti-drug campaign of the 80s, spearheaded by Nancy Reagan. The Ewoks cartoon, that was awesome to see. I love seeing things like people smoking on an airplane, which I remember, and that was just a normal thing back then, despite how horrifying that seems now. And like I mentioned, there are references to the very early days of the internet, not as we know it and when Tim Berners-Lee began it um, into what it would become in 1989, but more as a network of computers running on a closed system. 
I also love seeing Nancy and Robin use the closest thing we had to the internet back then, scrolling through microfiche at the library. Kids, uh, you'll have to ask your parents about that one. So that's a bunch of the stuff I caught. And like I said, with more rewatches and with more time, a bunch more will be revealed and, you know, things can update as they go. But that, that those are the things that stood out to me. So I'll start giving some final thoughts here on season four. And, you know, it's a deep, intense journey, not just that the runtimes are longer, but like I said, it's more of a horror themed series this time around. Episode seven ended with a twist that I don't think anyone could have seen coming. For years, everyone has wondered who number one was. Well, now we know, and we see his connection to the Upside Down and everything we know about Stranger Things. This had a real Tom Riddle, Voldemort, Harry Potter feel to it, but we know Vecna number one will probably want to stop at nothing to find and destroy Eleven. She is regaining her powers uncovering her true self and could possibly be stronger than ever. So does Vecna just represent the general of the mind flare and the more gates that he opens up, the more power he gets in the process of destroying Eleven either by himself or through the mind flare? Will Eleven be powerful enough to take down both Vecna and the Mind Flayer? To sum up Volume 1 of Stranger Things Season 4, we all have to let go of our demons, whether they're real or imagined. Will the characters of Stranger Things be able to? We'll find out on July 1st. So that's it for me. Hopefully you like the season. I mean, it's obviously far from complete and we're kind of left wondering where this is all going to go. So, I mean, our impressions now could be completely changed when we watch what is basically another four hours left to go through two more episodes when they're released July 1st. So I'll finish up. And as I mentioned before, and if you're in a position to do so, you can consider supporting this show through patreon.com. So that's a platform for where as little as a few dollars a month, you can support small independent podcasts like this. The difference is you get various audio rewards and there are different tier levels and each of those come with different rewards. So the movie club, the Everything 80s movie club I mentioned is at the Boba Fett tier. So that gets you access to all the good, the bad and the ugly of 1980s movies. And we've got over 13 or 14 there right now, including, like I said, a nightmare on Elm Street. So if you want to learn more, you can head to patreon.com slash 80s, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash 80s, or wherever you're listening to this on, there should be a link that'll take you right there. Okay, that's it for me. I will be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.